0: From high atop Five Bush Media World News Headquarters at a socially safe distance in Rochester, New York, it's the Top of the Tower podcast. We are brought to you by Shively Labs. Shively Labs is a division of Howell Laboratories. Shively is a proud employee-owned company with over 50 years of expert antenna and filter design and manufacturing. And by Yellowtech for broadcasters, podcasters, and content creators Yellowtech offers solutions for clean, efficient studios with the Mika mic arms and monitor supports, clear audio from Yellowtech's IXM recording microphone and USB sound cards, along with its compact mixer, the Intellimix. To learn more, go to Yellowtech.com. We are back from a uh, longer-than-expected uh, little break there. I have actually been much busier than expected. Uh, one of the things that uh, nobody really knew when we started in with uh, all of our uh, quarantine and social distancing, uh, was that I'd end up on the air pretty much every day at WXXI in Rochester, doing uh, the local hosting on All Things Considered, uh, being in our studio. It's an interesting experience because there are not that many people in there right now. Most of our reporting and editing staff are, of course, working from home, uh, but we're still in there in the studio, being very careful to wipe everything down between shifts Nobody else is coming into the studio. Uh, As you may have heard from our discussion a few weeks ago about mic safety, the windscreens uh, are off of the mic, uh, working them across at a 45-degree angle and making sure to wipe the mic down before and after shifts. All that good stuff that looks like it's going to continue for a while. One of the things that hasn't changed, of course, is what happens out at the transmitter end of the equation. And one of the people we always enjoy talking transmission systems with Uh, is Jeff Welton. Jeff is uh, one of the regional sales managers for Nautel. He is based in Nova Scotia, Canada, even though uh, the territory that he serves is the central portion of the United States. And as you'll hear in this conversation, of course, that means he's working at a distance from some of his customers and at a distance from us, too, which means we didn't get to have our usual visit with him at NAB time in Las Vegas. The Nautel Users Group, which is always a fascinating weekend morning Spent picking up tricks and tips and advice, usually in person, uh, over some snacks with some free t-shirts. That was all held virtually this year. Uh, But Jeff is still at it, doing his job, educating us, uh, and being honored for it as well. In the last few years, uh, he has won major awards for his educational work from the Society of Broadcast Engineers, last year from the Association of Public Radio Engineers, Uh, And this year, he was named Radio Engineer of the Year by the National Association of Broadcasters, which again would have meant a big ceremony uh, at NAB in Vegas, and instead this year was handled virtually. But being there at home in Nova Scotia meant Jeff had some extra time in between walking the dogs to talk to us remotely via Clean Feed uh, about a lot of things that are going on, including those major awards.
1: I've been really, really lucky. Yeah, I was telling somebody earlier that this may be the only industry where I can get paid to have a whole lot of fun and see this kind of recognition, and it's just—it's been really humbling. Yeah.
0: And you are in some awfully good company as far as the NAB uh, Engineering Award that you received this year. I mean, that's—that's some serious stuff there.
1: It's—it's amazing. Like, I, I look at the list of names, and it's like I don't I, – I mean, these are people that I've learned from my whole career. So it's just not something that I could even think about, the concept of being at that level. It's just it, – it's astounding to me.
0: Was it disappointing to, to not be able to do it in front of a room full of all of us mocking you? Uh,
1: yes and no. I mean – the, the funny thing and, and uh, I mean of course it, it's a little different receiving an award than it is uh, giving a presentation but uh, the the funny thing I've said we're doing a lot of webinar based stuff now and uh, the biggest challenge I have is not having the immediate feedback of being able to see whether people are yawning or, or dozing off or all you know <laughs> if, if I'm boring them to sleep or not
0: We had at least some virtual heckling that was going on during the virtual NUG this year, so that was was one tradition continued at least.
1: That was kind of fun. I had a really good time with that, and I mean, I tried to address some of the points, and some of them we just kind of let roll and dealt with with email, and I noticed that there was a uh, Facebook group doing something similar at the same time, although, uh, of course, during the the NUG, I wasn't uh, keeping up with Facebook. (laughs)
0: Indeed. So what's it like? I mean, normally at this time of year, you would be out on the road, you would be meeting with clients in person. You're literally now separated by a border from from where your normal sales territory is. How is this working out for you right now?
1: Well, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's business as usual in a lot of ways, because the bulk of what I do is over the phone and via email but uh by the same token like right now I'd be gearing up to head down to New Orleans for the Louisiana Mississippi Broadcast Conference. Um NAB of course would be behind us at this point and uh and, and yeah I would have been in front of tens of thousands of people over the course of the past couple of months whereas you know I've been now on the plus side I've also gotten to do a lot of family time we're doing some gardening that we haven't ever I've never been home to do before. So, uh, so you know, it's kind of a double-edged thing. I'm a lot more relaxed, and uh, maybe people are getting better deals because of it. <laughs> Who knows?
0: I think a lot of us kind of are right now, actually. is it? What are you seeing in terms of, of sort of the overall climate out there? Like, I you know I've got a transmitter project that I've been working on that's not off the table but is just kind of sitting there waiting to see what happens. Are you getting that from a lot of clients well, right now?
1: Well, uh, so it, it's kind of... It's funny, we break up our uh, sales team um, a couple of different ways. We, of course, have national accounts, the bigger groups, and then we've got the uh, three regional sales managers for different geographic areas. And by virtue of having the center of the country, I, I tend to have the folks that, uh, that typically don't have a lot of resources and will usually not, uh, not um, buy a new transmitter until the old one just can't be fixed. And, uh, you know, being the guy that uh, just sold a car that had 300,000 kilometers on it, I understand how that works. But, uh, yeah, for those folks, it's still pretty much business as usual. Add revenues down a little and you make do as best you can.
0: Indeed. Are you getting any inquiries? You know, I know it's certainly a question that has popped up a lot uh, on various Facebook groups, and I've even heard it from some places outside in terms of, of houses of worship and and school graduation ceremonies and even that uh, that sort of weird world of stand-up comedy that I've gotten myself entangled (laughs) with over the last year. A bunch of people are saying, gee, what could we do if we want to get people together outside and do some kind of a drive-in format, and we want to get something that can reach people on the radio, obviously. Usually that requires a license and a much lower-powered transmitter than... uh, than what you're accustomed to selling there at Nottel, what's what's the advice you're giving people, and are you, are you getting that question from people right now?
1: Oh, we get it a lot. What's funny, and I made a comment on this uh, on Facebook the other day. Uh, one of our bigger resellers came to me and asked a similar question because another fairly large manufacturer, not one of the not one of the north american-based ones but had told them that their their particular 50 watt exciter would work just great for broadcasting (laughs) to a church parking lot and the biggest challenge i think is there's just a lot of folks are not familiar with what part 15 really means you know um you're, you're talking milliwatts not uh small watts you know a 50-watt exciter into a dummy load might meet Part 15, but even that would be pretty close. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. I've seen a few calls like it. Uh, for us, we, we pretty much have to defer them. I mean, we don't have anything that could even be considered a Part 15 product.
0: Well, not only that, I assume that uh, having a reputation you want to keep up with your licensed clients means you don't want to be doing anything that would be creating unnecessary interference to them, right?
1: It's not just that. I mean, I just can't in good conscience recommend anything to anybody that I know not to be legal. That that would be wrong. I mean, it's, you know, uh, interference aside, it's flat out that's against the rules. You know, <laughs> that's all there is to it.
0: Now, Canada, as I understand it, has at least a little bit more leeway as far as being able to properly license special events stations. I know I've been having some interesting offline conversations that kind of start with G. If you were to propose something to the FCC for some sort of event, unlicensed operation, what would it look like? But it feels like the challenges to that are just immense in terms of creating something that's not going to turn into outright broadcasting. In terms of creating something that well, it would you know that the, wouldn't tie up so enforcement the, people forever?
1: The way we do it here is that. Um, And I'm looking back at uh, Industry Canada and CRTC versus the current iteration, which is actually not that many years ago. But uh, So in my infinite spare time, I help out uh, a bunch of really talented people at a little community station here Cove FM, um, CKVE. And uh, CKVE is a brainchild of a couple of local folks, and, and Mr. Chuck Kelly had a lot to do with it. Chuck used to work with us, and we still keep in touch. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so it started out a lot of years as a uh, an event license, just running the summer months, broadcasting regattas and yacht clubs because we're on the ocean. And those event licenses are time-based. So you can get an event license typically for up to three or four months, depending. So basically you have a license from this date to this date and they swing by, check the frequency, nope, you're not there, okay, life is good. It does require some enforcement, but, uh, you know, a market monitor is all it really takes.
0: Gee, a market monitor, like if, for instance, there were some kind of box that could be placed somewhere that, oh, I don't know, listened to the entire FM spectrum and and could somehow record and analyze all of it, maybe something SDR-based, It's it's a shame oh, nothing if, like that exists, isn't it?
1: Oh, if only something like that was around, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I try to avoid the sales bugs, but yeah, yeah, we do have a, a product like that. And uh, Looking Glasses uh, had a recent webinar that you can see on our website.
0: I was I was uh, privileged to get to take part in it, and uh, we're going to have Alex here on the podcast, I'm sure, sometime soon, discussing it in greater depth. This is for for people who were not tied into this. Give us the the 30 or 60 second elevator pitch as to what this magic and, and, unfortunately, no longer bright yellow box can do for people.
1: Yeah, sorry about changing the color. I opted for Nautil Gold, but they went with blue. It was a little more conventional. Um, You've got uh, too many quiet people. We need some more brightness. Anyway, so the the very short is, is what you just said. It, it's quite literally an off-the-air market monitor. You stick up an antenna, it will monitor the entire broadcast spectrum, record it onto a massive hard drive internally, and you can set up to 30 stations that you can individually monitor. The cool thing is once you've recorded it, you can go back later and change what stations you're looking at. So you could be looking at all the stations. You can just look at 30 simultaneously. So it is a pretty cool toy toy like that. There are um, a scaled-down version that'll do a few less stations. I think uh, 10 stations is the, the other size we have. So, yeah, it, it's kind of fun.
0: Without disclosing any competitive intelligence, what kind of interest has this garnered now?
1: A lot. That, that's it, It'd be fair to say a lot. Uh, we're in beta now. Um, we had, I think, four or five, half a dozen. I don't remember. Matt would be able to tell me. We had a, several beta boxes anyway. And we put out the call for beta test sign-ups, and these were done at a... Not free, discounted, but uh instead of the half a dozen or so that we were hoping for, we got uh, fifty requests so more more than a few there's some interest
0: now i now I know why I'm still in queue for mine, apparently
1: <laughs> you are on the list no question
0: excellent i have uh, I have an owner here who certainly could find some use in it i mean this is this is something that I can see a lot of uses for certainly if you are a, a group owner with stations and markets around the country that you want to be able to to tap into remotely, and I imagine especially now if you're if you're a corporate director of engineering and you're accustomed to traveling around and, and visiting your local markets, that all of a sudden when you can't do that right now very safely, that's probably right. a whole new uh, a whole new appeal to this, right?
1: it is IP accessible and so there is some definite benefit to it obviously if you're uh, pulling in the full band the full uh, spectrum you're going to require a little bit of bandwidth on the connection I wouldn't recommend doing it over a uh, 3G link for example but uh, but yeah it's uh, it's got some benefit in that regard Um, we've seen some requests from different countries for the uh, for their enforcement bureaus because then they could put the monitor in any given city and be able to look at it from any other city. So, you know, at-a-glance type thing there. Uh, I guess a little more of the Big Brother aspect of it, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's kind of a cool toy like that.
0: Stick one of them in a good location in the Bronx on a Friday night of a holiday weekend, let it rip for the weekend. <laughs> and
1: the Bronx, Miami, uh, pick a city, yep, there, there's all Boston, kinds of things you yeah. could hear.
0: Absolutely, so that's... That's Looking Glass. What uh, what else had we seen you on the floor at, at NAB this year? What else aside from all digital AM, which we will get to in, in a moment? What else would we have been seeing from NaTel this year?
1: Well, one of the other cool things, and not too far from you, New Hampshire Public Radio is currently running a, um, and of course they run a, a network where they're they're based out of Concord and they have several satellite stations all receiving the same feed. And they're running HD, so what we've done, rather than having them find out how to accurately export the audio from site to site to site, or from Concord to all the different sites, we just, uh, we installed, they they put public internet in, and we run the um, importer software, so we put an exporter at each site, put an importer in Concord, and load uh, six instances of the importer software on it, so it's all, it it's one importer box in Concord feeding six exporters as if they were six importers. The cool thing about it is that uh, one of the local sites, for example, if they have an EAS alert, they can dump the audio back over Internet to Concord, insert it into their channel for their importer, and broadcast it only on their HD 2 and 3, or if you've got to do some local content insertion.
0: So that would work if you want to do a separate block of underwriting or a separate legal id anything like that
1: right or like i say eas for one territory that doesn't cover the other counties um all kinds of options for it like that you know and that's looking at it from the uh from the non-com aspect of course there are several commercial stations that are that network a similar signal to a bunch of stations so uh you know, there, there's a lot of applications. The other cool thing, and the advantage we've got with the HD multicast combined importer/exporter, is that over an embedded unit, it's got such a massive amount of horsepower that it's not a, a single application box. We can, uh, in the New Hampshire Public Radio, we're running the signal over WheatNet, for example, also embedded. Um, we could do software processing on the in the unit, so all kinds of all kinds of options.
0: And to be clear, this is different. I mean, we're seeing some of the other technology out there uh, you know, that's trying to do on-channel boosters, and it's even, although I have some doubts about this, talking about splitting the, the audio feed on, on synchronized on-channel boosters, that's not this. This is going to separate transmitters that are on separate frequencies in separate communities.
1: Right, exactly. Now, um, I think Grady Maltz did something interesting on Twitter not long ago. It might not have been Grady. I can't remember now. Uh, the problems are getting older uh, <laughs> somebody was talking about it wasn't specifically a single frequency network, they had a network of boosters all on the same frequency but they were running at the opposite ends of their spacing limits to uh, allow receivers to lock in
0: So yep, that, was, that was Grady That's It was WUV Grady, in okay. Boston, yeah I
1: thought it was, and, and so the cool thing about that was they didn't really have to synchronize now, Over and above, if you were if you uh, talk to Kirk Harnack with some of the stuff they've done with um, with MPX over IP, uh, there's the ability to synchronize the MPX signal, the composite signal, over an IP link. So at that point, doing an SFN, where just about every transmitter built these days has uh, GPS in, so you can clock the pilot and carrier, if you can synchronize the audio, you've tied almost everything together right there.
0: Indeed. All right, so having talked about the FM side of things, let's let's dive into this all-digital AM. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have had Dave Colasar and the uh, the guys from what is now Experie mm-hmm. on with us it about a year and a half ago now when I got to visit them down at WWFD, and it sounds like they pretty soon will not be alone in, in trying out this MA3 all-digital AM mode. We've seen a couple of stations uh, in Indiana and Indianapolis and Fort Wayne that have filed for experimental authorization to, to do this. We've got the rulemaking pending still at the FCC to allow stations to do this officially. What is what is the level of interest beyond these three now that, that you're hearing, if any, in uh, in trying this out in more places?
1: There have been more than a few. I mean, and I've been kind of lucky that I got to uh, take part in the original all-digital testing um, back in 2015 when it was, I think it was Ubiquity then, but uh... that was uh... done with uh, nab labs Dave, david Lair let's, uh... get to work with him and uh... some of those guys for for a while and that was a lot of fun um, so we you know and that was gen one if you will of all digital am so the what what is now core ma3 versus the expanded mode with the artist song title album art and all the cool stuff we can now do um, so it's going to be kind of cool. Uh, we did caveat our uh, NAB or our FCC response to the NPRM um, with, the, with the note that uh, peak power is going to potentially be an issue. You're not going to run a 5-kilowatt day timer at 5 kilowatts on the power meter, like 5, five kilowatts average power with an within all-digital signal, uh, not unless you want to cook your ATU. So, uh, well, because most of them aren't built with a lot of headroom. So,
0: th- And this is really kind of the same thing that we've learned with DTV, where we're, we're learning to measure the power levels differently there right. than what we did back in the days of peak power for, for analog TV too, right?
1: Yeah, right, because you almost have to look at channel power now instead of carrier power. And historically, of course, we've always looked at uh, carrier power.
0: Do we have any sense of of how the FCC is is actually going to regulate that and what the rules might look like for this? At
1: this point, no. I mean, that the comments on that uh, what's it been about a month? I think since they closed, give or take. And I'm guessing here. I uh, I, I remember reading it, but I don't remember when it was. Again, the challenges are getting older. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think that they're fairly optimistic or or you know they're they're leaning toward all digital how it will work in the long haul i mean i don't know if uh if you saw the um the uh application in indianapolis uh they were looking at uh running hd2 as well
0: so uh yeah they mentioned that i think the fort wayne one did also and that's that's going to be interesting because as far as I know there's still nothing in the field that can actually receive that so the purpose would mainly be just to feed a separate feed to a transmitter to a translator right? That
1: would be about the only actual purpose right now and uh Fort Wayne that's uh is that Brian? Yeah. Yeah, and uh I, I'm not even sure he's got a separate translator to feed right now but uh so he may be looking at it for another purpose just to do testing as well cuz he's always been kind of eager about some of the some of the new technologies. Uh, he's, uh, he has,
0: and I'm dying to be able to make my annual trip to Fort Wayne to actually get together with him in person. And, uh, it's kind of cool. He's yeah, because
1: yeah. uh, I first met Brian, who almost, I want to say, 30 years ago, just about exactly, with uh, doing some troubleshooting on a P400, one of our little 250 uh, <laughs> watt day timers back then. So, uh,. Yep, it it's kind of cool, but I think you're going to see a lot more interest. I know that uh I've talked to a few other folks who have uh who have mentioned that they're uh definitely watching the proceedings with uh with great uh great amount of interest. And uh, a couple others who have uh gotten some preliminary uh numbers on what it would uh, what it would take to put a system together.
0: And we should be clear here. I mean, this is not and, and nothing is at this point the savior of am radio as we have known it the way that i'm describing it to people when i talk to them about it and based on what i've experienced driving that that signal at wwfd is it's it's okay. one tool in the chest where if you have an am that is sitting there not doing anything right now here's an opportunity to at least try something that that has some potential so to give it some sort of new life so right?
1: this is the part where i go off the uh off the reservation to use a metaphor A bad metaphor but uh so the one drum that i beat more than absolutely anything is that
0: it is ferrites put ferrites on everything (laughs) okay the other drum i knew that
1: had to come out sooner or later um but if you look at uh when i was growing up i grew up in a small hobby farm northern part of this part of the world and uh my uh my father always listened to the radio. We had a little clock radio on top of the refrigerator in the kitchen under the fluorescent lights. He listened to the 900 kilohertz, 1 kilowatt AM station in the town 20 miles away. And I can guarantee you sound quality had nothing to do with it. He was listening purely for the program they were playing. And that's what's going to save radio more than anything. Find program that people want to listen to. And that can be a challenge. It's, it's you know, not something if, shoot, if I was any good at it, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I'd be programming a radio <laughs> station. So, uh, so, you know, I don't know the answers, but I know that if you give people what they want to hear, they'll listen. And if you have a situation where they had to go out and get a new radio to hear it, then a lot of them will.
0: Interesting, because the way that I've been pitching it to people, you know, who have asked, should I do this is well? Think about not so much people going out and getting new radios, but think about what's already perhaps sitting in their car right now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, now for the HD2 on AM, that's not going to work, but uh, AM HD, if you've got content folks want to hear on it, and this, like WWFD saw the same thing, they started showing up in the ratings when they went HD and uh, opened up the full audio frequency.
0: Well, and the signal became usable in places where it simply had never been usable before. I've driven that signal right into downtown Washington and then out beyond, down mm-hmm. almost to into Virginia. It, it, you can hear it up into parts of central Pennsylvania, and boy, when it's there, it's there.
1: Right, yeah, you don't have the static. You've got it or you don't got it, so to speak. And, I mean, I know Dave, we had him on the NUG for a little bit talking about it, and he said that there are areas where they've got a usable signal out to the 0.1 millivolt contour, and you don't get that on an analog signal.
0: Yeah. So what, if if you're sitting on a relatively recent vintage transmitter, you know, how how far back? I mean, you're not going to do this, obviously, on, on an old Amphet, but what... What is actually needed with something more modern to make this work?
1: There are a lot of caveats. So um, for the core MA3 mode, a lot of existing transmitters will run it. Like, uh, for example, uh, WWFD had an AM5A, AM10A, I don't remember, but a BEAM transmitter, and it was working great on uh, core mode. For expanded mode, and that's where I said Dave Colasar and Mike Raid had done a paper for this year's NAB, uh, the BEITC, the Broadcast Engineering Conference. And uh, that was one of the things they talked about was the the challenges they had. Uh, Partly modulator linearity, partly PDM frequency. uh, There's a few other aspects. But if you need to run expanded mode or want to with the album art and artist and song title, and especially if you need the HD2, at that point, you pretty much have to upgrade to a newer transmitter. So it really comes down to what you, uh, what you want to accomplish from it. I mean, obviously, if you're just running it to uh, drive a translator, then it becomes less of a concern. Um, on our older gear, the XL, XR, ND series, the J1000s, when we did the all digital testing in 2015, we did it on those. I would not guarantee mass clearance at any given power level. So there'd have to be some look, looking done into that, and we just haven't done it at this point.
0: And I know from having talked to and visited Dave and, and Mike that obviously the antenna system needs to be kept nice and flat, and that's going to take a lot of work probably on a lot of these older AMs that are out there that haven't had the, the degree of preventive maintenance that uh, that perhaps they should have had over the years.
1: Right, Exactly.
0: Let's finish up here then a little bit by by talking about some preventive maintenance and uh, tricks tricks and tips, if you will, uh, in this era where perhaps people aren't able to get out and uh, and be at their transmitter sites as much as they should be. I know I've got an FM here that has been visited I think twice in the last two months, just when I feel like it's getting lonely and and, and misses me and <laughs> needs me to come up and say hi. What are what are things that people should be thinking about if perhaps they're they're not able to get out to these sites? As often as they once did.
1: Well, uh, the, the one thing that more than anything that, uh, that I've tended to run into is air filters. And, of course, those require physical rep- presence to clean. Uh, if you're air conditioned, then your heat exchanger. If you're liquid cooled, your heat exchanger. Um, those things still need to be cleaned. Uh, you, can't, uh, you, you can't change the schedule at which that happens. That's going to be determined by your site more than anything else. Um, beyond that, one of the things that I always like to say is, is document everything, and, and I'll be the first to admit I'm also probably the worst at it. But if you, uh, for example, have IP access to your equipment, whether or even a dial-up remote control, and just keep a weekly log of whatever readings you can access, then you can see if there's any trends or anything. It just sort of gives you an idea whether anything's starting to go sideways.
0: This is probably a good time to not necessarily have to be in the remote studio business, I would think. Well, you know,
1: it's like everything else. I mean, our gear is all IP accessible. I think just about every other currently produced broadcast transmitter has some level of IP accessibility. So, you know, you you can pretty much see it from wherever you can connect to it. So yeah, from from the transmitter side, it, it's not that big an issue. Uh, from the studio side, there there are some interesting challenges, and definitely some folks had to do some scrambling early on today.
0: Indeed, Jeff Welton, no, always a pleasure to talk with you. Hopefully, uh, thinking maybe next year a Nobel Prize in literature, perhaps.
1: <laughs> if you've ever seen any of my uh, meanderings <laughs> in our Waves newsletter, you'll know that's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, oh, yes. No, I I don't know. I mean, I have got a few other things that I want to do, so it uh, it'll it'll be a lot of fun. You'll see some of it over the next uh, month or two. Marketing comes up with ideas, and they hand me a microphone, and uh, I dance around the stage and have a lot of fun. So it's uh, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be entertaining. I've still got a few years left before I'm ready to retire. I think.
0: Looking forward to it. Hopefully, hopefully there'll be another T-shirt somewhere in the works there too.
1: I can almost guarantee that.
0: And again, our thanks to Jeff Welton. We have a whole bunch more topics coming up in a lot of different areas of the radio and television universes uh, as we get back on track now with the Top of the Tower podcast on a weekly basis. In a couple of weeks, we're going to hear from Sean Ross talking about a whole bunch of programming and music-related topics uh, and some other special guests, too. If there's somebody you would like to hear from on the podcast or if you have some insight you'd like to offer, feel free to drop me a line at scott at com. I would love to hear what you're thinking about, too. It is the Top of the Tower podcast. We are brought to you by YellowTech. For broadcasters, podcasters, and content creators, YellowTech offers solutions for clean, efficient studios with the Mika mic arms and monitor support, clear audio remotely, too, from YellowTech's iXM recording microphone and USB sound cards, along with its compact mixer, the Intellimix. To learn more, go to YellowTech.com, and we're brought to you by Shively Labs. Shively Labs is a division of Howell Laboratories. Shively is a proud employee-owned company with over 50 years of expert antenna and filter design and manufacturing. Thanks for being with us. We're going to try to get back on an every Wednesday schedule. We will see you here again next week on the Top of the Tower podcast.